0: The following audio is from Norths Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at northsferrychurch.org. All right, if you are over third grade, you are dismissed. If you haven't left already, there you go. They said, we're watching the video. Oh, wait, under third grade, you're dismissed. Y'all are all like, look, I got cobwebs. I told the first service at the end of the service, I said, all right, everybody tear the chairs down and set up for for, for members meeting, and they're all like, I was like, oh, this is the first service. Don't tear the chairs down. I don't want to reset them up. Look, I got cobwebs. That's what happens when you tell me don't preach for a summer because we need to grow the church. And I'm like, this is what happens when I don't preach for a summer. I'm not sure how to take that. And I'll answer that for myself. Kevin, I don't want your opinion. I, I assume it's because I don't know what happened. Summer's supposed to be a summer slump. Well, we didn't slump, we kept growing. I praise God for that. And I thank all the guys who did such a great job preaching the word. I thank the staff for taking the extra load. That uh, that you took to allow me to to work on things that I wanted to work on this summer instead of the things that I had to work on. That that you know the tyranny of the urgent that makes us all get off track and not be able to work on vision and things like that. So it was a great summer. I'm refreshed. I have a lot of material. So I'm not going to talk about that anymore. We're going to get started in the, the, in the uh, series that we're starting today called Sent by the Son. You have been sent by the Son of God who has all authority and power. And He has given you all the power you need to go and make disciples. There has been a massive multiplication movement that Jesus started. He could have done it all kinds of ways, but how did He do it? He invested in just a handful of men... And he said, now, follow me. He sat down with him. He taught him. He lived life with him. He said, watch me. He said, go do it. He tweaked a little bit, explained some things. He said, now, go. I'm going to be in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And I'm going to come back. Until then, I want you to go and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And that's the multiplication movement that's been happening. If they didn't do their job, you and I wouldn't be here today. But when I think about making disciples, most of the time, I have a default position that I go to, and it's more about just me and my own walk with Jesus. And I need to do better at this, or I need to do this or that. I need to mature in this area, or I need to get rid of this sin. But there's not always this forward motion that there should be in following Jesus. On the the sabbatical I enjoyed this summer, the question that always comes back to me, and it's just something I live with every day of my life, is what are we doing That's just something I always live with, whether it was my job or my my life, but especially in my ministry. It's like, what are we doing? What are we trying to do here? And are we doing that? That's the question we're always asking. What are we what is this whole thing even about? Why did we why did 10 people go into a living room, leave their their friends and family, other churches and say, let's start this church? What were we after? Why did God put that on our hearts? And are we doing it? And I would say to a large extent, yes, we are doing it. We're making disciples. But the peace that is constantly nagging and never will we be satisfied is this outward peace. In our covenant language, we call it love Christ, Christians, neighbors, and nations. That's what we're doing. We're equipping you to love Christ, love Christians, love neighbors, and love nations. The love Christ and Christian part, we're killing it. The love neighbors, I think we're doing pretty good. You, I don't know where y'all are coming from. But is there this forward, outward, life-on-life, you looking around, who's in your life, pouring into their life, identifying them, investing in them, inviting them to follow Jesus, and increasing the kingdom of God? I'm not. I'm not doing it near the way I should. I mean, the first step is identifying. I don't know many non-Christians anymore. My whole life is on this Christian island. And so the first step for me is I got to get off this island. So I'll see you all later. I'm gone. This is my reason I'm going to be at the lake. No, I'm kidding. So all of us need to start asking our question, am I making disciples? Because we've all been sent. If you struggle with your purpose in life, and I know that many of you do, as I do. Like I, I just never could just get up and do my job and make money and pay bills and take a trip and buy more stuff and then do it again the next day. I, I was like, there's got to be more, than life, more to life than that. This is the purpose. This is the significance. This is what brings meaning and purpose and infuses your life with excitement is the Son of God chose you to be a part of this massive multiplication movement. Of making disciples. I wonder who is going to be in the kingdom because of you. And when we reach them and we bring them in and we disciple them, our job's not done until they're making disciples. It's a multiplication movement. So we start our new series today. We're working through the book of Matthew Clint Rayleigh came in this morning after the service and said, Oh, I am so thankful you did not spend the whole hour in chapter 1 of Matthew going through that genealogy. And I'm not, because here's what I'm doing a little different. Usually we work verse by verse and we don't, we don't even stray away from genealogies. We'll work right through them and make sense of them. But I want to do something that the church historically has often done. And that is, they take the five discourses, which just means teachings or speeches, five discourses of Jesus that are in the book of Matthew. And you'll see today, it's the first one is chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has his disciples. He sits down, which is the posture for teaching, and rabbi teaching his disciples. And he sits down and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he starts to teach them. And he does this five different times in the book of Matthew. And the church historically has used these largest collection of messianic teachings, the Messiah's teachings, as a discipleship curriculum. Is This is Jesus telling these men who were fishing, and he said, you're going to fish for men... And he says, now, here's what that means. Here's what a disciple looks like. Here's how he thinks. Here's how he acts. Here's their motivations and values. And here's what you're going to do. Here's your people. Here's how you live in community. Here's how it makes sense when you go and you spread the seed and nobody responds. Let me tell you the secrets of the kingdom as to why. And he says, listen, when you go out, here's how you're going to be treated. So don't be surprised when you're treated this way. And then the final Olivet Discord where he's on Mount Olive and he says, let me tell you what you're Going to see before I return. Pray for me. That's a challenging discourse. So we're going to study the five discourses in Matthew where Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's preparing them. But what is the last thing in Matthew 28, 19 and 20? The last thing he does, he sends them. And that is the forward motion that we must not miss. If all we do is study Jesus' teaching for me and myself, and I'm going to be a better Christian, and it doesn't result in multiplication, then no, we're not doing what we're trying to do. And that's what I'm trying to say is, I sat back and thought, what are we doing? Well, obviously, we're trying to make disciples. But how do we measure that? Well, we should see that we have made disciples who are making disciples who are making disciples. I'd say, I see it, but we need a lot more. Lord, help us this morning as we study the first intro into Matthew 1, 2, 3, 4, leading up to 5. Lord, give us insight that you have called us, you have sent us to be disciple makers. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, here's what I want to do today, simply is get us context. Get up to chapter 5, because chapter 5 is where he says, all right, Jesus sat down and he started teaching. So what happens? Turn your Bibles. If you've got paper copy, then I'll hear the pages flipping. If not, turn your electronic Bibles on and go to chapter 1 of Matthew. First thing you see is this long genealogy. And Matthew's writing, the book of genealogy. He says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ... The son of David, the son of Abraham, and then he goes through the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of, all this genealogy. Now, what's going on there? Well, let me tell you how your Bible works. Your Bible falls apart into two pieces, Old Testament, New Testament. That doesn't mean old, outdated, new, this is the one you need. This is the old is the foundation of the new. You cannot fully grasp and understand the richness of the new if you don't know the old. The old paints a portrait of the Messiah, the son of God, the anointed king that God will send to establish his kingdom. And it's three ways it points to Jesus and so much more, but in three general ways. One is direct prophecies. He'll be a born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem. He will be a Nazarene. He will come out of Egypt. He will do this. He will do that. He will be a suffering servant. He will hang on the cross. And every single prophecy just as the prophet said, is fulfilled. And we're going to trace that, that Matthew is going, oh my gosh, that's what the prophet said. That's what the prophet said. That's what the prophet said. Is he the Messiah? So that's one way. Another way is the imagery. And really that covers both of the next two ways. He is the prophet, the priest, and the king. When you read the Old Testament, you see God gave Israel prophets, He gave them priests, and He gave them kings. Well, Jesus shows up on the scene, and He is the ultimate prophet of God, the word of God, the mouthpiece of God. He is the priest of God who intercedes between God the Father and man by His own priestly act of giving Himself on the cross and His sacrifice, which we're remembering today in the Lord's Supper. And He's the king! He's the all-powerful king of God's kingdom. And when he comes back, he will rule with great power and dominion. But also we see all kinds of imagery in the Old Testament points to Jesus. When Noah built the ark and God used that ark, an act of faith to save these people from the flood, that is a picture of the salvation in the ark. Jesus is the ark of God and he saves his people from his sin. Over and over we see the tabernacle is a picture of the tabernacle of God as Jesus is the dwelling of God. Over and over the Old Testament creates a longing for the arrival of this Messiah, this king, this Prophet, this priest, the one who will himself be the Lamb of God, who sacrifices his own blood to cover the guilt and sin of his people. And Matthew writes in his gospel, as you've been waiting hundreds of years after the close of the Old Testament, who is the Messiah? And you read, This is him. Because when you trace the storyline of the Old Covenant, of the Old Testament, it d- identifies that the Messiah will be the son of a woman. He will be a son of God. He will be the son of Abraham. And he will be the son of David. And what does he say? And I noticed on the sabbatical the book is getting further and further away. I went and saw uh, Dr. Bundrick this week. I will have glasses next week, so don't laugh. The book of genealogy of Jesus the Christ. That's anointed one. That's kingly language. He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. He's saying, He's here. The king is here. So, this guy who wrote the book of Matthew, who is this guy? We're going to read highlights of chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 to get into the sandals, the dusty sandals of Matthew, to get context for when we sit down next week at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching. We will say, I get it. So when we get to Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, notice what Matthew is doing. He says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. He's saying, I heard about this guy, maybe Matthew was about the same age as Jesus, but somewhere in his lifetime he heard about this guy, that this guy was born in Bethlehem, he was born supposedly of a virgin woman, and he was a Nazarene, and he came up out of Egypt, and he did all this. And so over and over you see Matthew saying, this is exactly what the prophet said would happen. He's fulfilling the Old Testament scriptures. In chapter 2, the wise men visit, and he says in chapter 2, verse uh, 5. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, it's written by the prophets. This is exactly what the prophets said would happen. He comes out of Egypt in the end of verse uh, 2, chapter 2, verse 18. This is exactly what they said would happen. When Herod killed all the children, the prophet said that Ramah will be weeping and wailing and she will not be comforted because they were killing all the Israelites. And so, Verse after verse, Matthew is saying, I recognize that Jesus is the one fulfilling all the Old Testament prophecies. He is fulfilling the Scripture. Imagine Matthew. Now, who is Matthew as he stands in chapter 3 and he's seeing the baptism of Jesus? Matthew was probably a scribe trained by the Jewish elite how to read, how to write, how to scribe. He recorded and memorized the Old Testament. That's why he was able to recognize him when he showed up. He's like, oh my goodness, this is, he is, he's filling all those scriptures. But somewhere along the way, he, he got distracted. He got more focused on money and power and prestige and retirement and possessions. He's a tax collector, which meant he had to be trained and smart and, and could do math and write. But he was a tax collector working for the enemy. He was a traitor. He was working for the Roman government, collecting taxes from his own people, the Jews. And not just that, but he was a greedy greedy tax collector because they all knew that the Roman government, as long as they got their peace, didn't care if you overcollected. So this dude's rich. And he got rich off the backs of his brothers and sisters. He's a traitor. He's an outcast among his own people. He's all about himself. He's all about his career. He's all about his future. He's all about his possessions. He's all about his power. He's all about his prestige. He's all about his retirement. He's all in, but that's what he's all in for. And he starts to hear, Oh my word, I think the Messiah is here. But don't you know the internal turmoil that's going on in his heart? Excitement. Oh, the long awaited Messiah is here. Oh no. Look at my life. What if he comes to me? Imagine him in, John, in Matthew chapter 3 as John the Baptist fulfilling what was prophesied. The prophet Isaiah said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make path as straight as straight path. This is what's happening. John the Baptist, this weird dude from the wilderness, wearing camel's skin and eating locusts and honey. It was all prophesied. And he's baptizing. And when he baptizes, he looks at the crowds and he says, repent, you brood of vipers. He didn't play. Matthew's like, I know. I baptize you with water, John said, for repentance. But he who is coming is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to even carry. He, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, and his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. At that time, You know, he's just like, oh, God. But then, this man walks up to John the Baptist and says, baptize me. And there's something different about this dude. And John the Baptist says, I am not worthy to baptize you. I can't even carry your sandals. He said, I said, baptize me. He's like, okay. And he baptizes him, and that's recorded in, Chapter 3, verse 14, it says, When Jesus was baptized, Matthew's writing this. He says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, the voice of God from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Matthew tormented between excitement and fear and guilt and shame and thrill here's god declare this is my son the son of god and he's going i knew it and then in verse 17 of chapter 4 he's in the crowd Slipping around, looking, just staying in the back where I don't want Jesus to make eye contact. But he's listening and he's watching. In 4.17, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. I'm bringing the kingdom. You better figure this out. But then imagine, in the middle of all this turmoil, internal turmoil, split, oh, man, walk away from everything power, prestige, money, possessions to follow him? It's not a king. You got any power? I've got all the power, I've got everything I need, I'm comfortable. Why would I follow this guy? And, and you know he's checking out everyone else in the community. What are they saying about him? And then another blow. In verse 18 of chapter 4. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, we saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, and his brother casting nets into the sea. These dudes were successful businessmen. They had a, a fishery. They were, they were killing it. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately, immediately, they left their nets and followed him. You know, word spread through town, and Matthew's going, Really? Peter, Andrew, and then James and John have a fishing business with their dad. I mean, it doesn't get any better. You're fishing for a living that's pretty good and you're with your brother and your dad and you're killing it. They're mending in their nets, they're working on their nets and then says he called them, follow me and immediately they left the boat and they left their father and they followed him. Matthew's just like, oh my word. It's the real deal. Matthew knows his moment's coming. Crisis is hitting his heart. Whom will I serve? I want you to turn to the gospel of Luke because Luke records a couple of things that Matthew doesn't record about what happens after those first disciples were called. I think by this time, if you look at chapter 5, verse 12, Luke 5, 12, I think by this time, Matthew gets it. Matthew's thinking... He is the all-powerful God of the universe. And he's afraid, I think. I think he's like, you know, but I I have done so much. I am so, I'm a traitor. I've been getting rich off the backs of his people. And I think this was the the turning moment. In chapter 5, verse 12 of Luke while Jesus was, one, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Now the lepers were, by the people considered, disgusting, infected, diseased, and they were outcasts, and they were told, stay out of society. And this leper comes to Jesus, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face, and he begged him, Lord, if you will, You can make me clean. Don't you know Matthew heard those words? I need to be clean. What is Jesus going to do? What does Jesus do with filthy people like me? He didn't say, Be healed. He didn't say, Whoa, 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 whoa. I'll just speak the word. And you're clean. He touched him. He touched his filth. He touched his skin. And he said, I will be clean. The compassion, the love, the kindness, the mercy of God. Being displayed. Then, one last scene in Luke chapter 5, verse 17. I think here we see the patience of God, and I can totally relate to this. I see Jesus, he's in this room, and it's packed, and crowds are outside, and it's just like they got it. It's just a crazy, chaotic scene. Nobody's quiet, and he's trying to teach. And he's got noise and he's got all these distractions and he's just patiently teaching. It reminds me of one time, guys. I was over here, y'all were one of y'all was over here. I love you all, and I don't want anyone ever leave mad at me. But one time, a long time ago, someone over here had a pencil and a paper. The whole service. And I'm like, and I'm like, I can't stop and ask them to stop. Because they will never come back to church again. It'll be all my fault. So I hear this <hangs in silence> the whole sermon, and finally I'm like, and then the Lord said, and I'm preaching, and I'm looking right at this person, and he's looking right at me, <laughs> and I was like, thank you. So that's what I see going on here. Jesus is preaching, and he hears this. And he's just like, what is that? But I'm going to keep rolling. I mean, I don't know. He's the son of God. He probably knew exactly what it was, but you get the idea. Sawdust starts to trickle down on everybody's head. And they're all like, what's going on? And he's like, I'm trying to talk to you here. And they're just cutting in the roof. And all of a sudden, the ropes let down a paralytic on a mat. Now, if that was me, I'd be like, really? Couldn't wait till afterwards? And I'm sure Matthew's back in the back row in the crowd going, eh, let's see how Jesus handles this. And what does Jesus do? We'll start with verse 19, Luke 5, 19. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst, of, into the midst before Jesus. And what does Jesus think when he sees them? You punks, how dare you interrupt me? Do you know who I am? It's not what he says. When he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. Well, who said anything about sins? The man's a paralytic. Doesn't he just need his physical body healed? And the scribes, the religious elite, they went crazy. I'm sure some of them screaming, Whoa, that's blasphemy. Nobody forgives sins but God. How dare you talk like that in here? And he looks at them and he says, When he perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? And he looks at the dude and says, Get up and walk. And the guy gets up and walks. And Matthew's just going, I'm in. I'm in. I can't fight this anymore. I I want in. But at that moment, don't you think he's, but will he take me? Will he take me knowing who I am and what I've been doing? After that, when he walked away, the man that was healed... And Jesus saying, I forgive you of your sins. It says in Luke five twenty six, the amazement seized them. It gripped them. It grabbed them. Amazement seized them. And they glorified God. And they were all filled with awe, including Matthew. For they had seen what happened. And then it says in verse 27, Luke 5, After this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi. That's Matthew. I'm sure Matthew was standing in his little tax collector booth and he's just shrinking, like, oh gosh, here he comes. Levi sitting at the tax booth and Jesus looks at him. Of all the things he could have said, could have said, shame on you. Could have said, how dare you. He said, follow me. And immediately, Leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. How do you think he felt, man? How do you know what he felt? Look what he did next in verse 29. Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. Levi called all his buddies, all his rich tax collector friends. And he said, we're going to have a party. And Jesus is going to be there. I want you all to know this Jesus. He'll accept you as you are. He heals. He's got the power of God. He forgives. He cleanses. He's making disciples out of the joy of having entered into the joy of Jesus. And it's fun. It's an incredible picture. And all the religious elite. Here they go again. What are you doing, Jesus, hanging out with these Tax collectors, these sinners, what are you doing? And Jesus responds, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. At this time, Jesus has called Matthew. Matthew's following Jesus, and don't you know he is like, Wait a minute, Jesus, can we sit down for a minute? I got some questions. And he gets a notebook and he gets his pen and he says, now, how does this whole thing work? Do I have to work off my sin first? No, I got that. I I died for that. Well, who are my people? What what am I supposed to do? What's it going to be like when I go out there and tell those people I've been swindling all these years about you? What am I supposed to say? How are they going to treat me? How are they going to respond What does my future hold? How long? I thought you said you're bringing your kingdom. And that's what these discourses are. And after five discourses of teaching Matthew what it's like to be a disciple, what it's going to be like when you go out there, what to expect, how they're going to treat you, why some gospel seed grows, why others don't, he finally gets to the end and he says to them this in Matthew 28. Verse 16, now the eleven disciples, after all the discourses, went to Galilee. Jesus has died, he was buried, he rose again, he's resurrected. And he had told them, now meet me at this mountain. And so they went to this mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. He's alive. But some had doubts. Of course they would. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And now with that authority, I tell you this, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'll be with you always, even to the end, as you do this. He sent them to make disciples. That's what we're trying to do. Make disciple makers. That's what this is about. That's what small groups are about. That's what anything we do is supposed to be about. It's equipping you for the purpose that God saved you. He saved you to send you. And so we're trying to give you what you need to go and make disciples and do the very purpose for which you've been created. This week, action step. Oh, what's he going to ask me to do? It's, it's hard, real hard. Go buy a notebook. Okay, if you want to use an iPad, go ahead. I have an iPad. I've got great apps, but there's just something about I need a pen and paper. And I want my community group leader, when I walk in, if you don't see this in my hand, you're sitting at the feet of Jesus and you're not taking notes we need to be taking notes we need to be praying and if God speaks to me I better write it down and I better do what he says and I'm thinking about people who I'm identifying I'm going to invest in them I'm going to invite them I invited someone this week she was not interested I was like that's okay I said you have a church home no I said you do now our church I'm the pastor she's like okay I'm like maybe not we'll try that again that's how it goes. But at least I tried. And that's what we're going to start doing. If you show up to group this week and you don't have a notebook, your, your group leader's is going to call you out in love. Speak the truth in love. Because if we're sitting at the feet of Jesus and we're not taking notes, something ain't right. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church, located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.